This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Talking Dirty over at East Truston Old Vicarage. Looking so smart, so smiley this sunny day. It's Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and ever so handsome horticulturalist. Oh, you say that so beautifully. And there you are beaming your sun rays from your home in Cambridgeshire. It's Thordis, Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. She's half Icelandic, you know. <laughs> We're kind of straddled across the country. We've got Alan in the east, me a little bit closer to the middle, and far, far over to the west, we have our guests today. Very excited about this podcast. It is Levin and Sue Wynne-Jones of the very famous Krug Farm Plants. Welcome to the podcast. Do you, you have any middle names to share? No. Not. <laughs> I, I had a very big double, my maiden name was Houston Roberts, and my mother thought it was such a mouthful that she wouldn't give me a second name. I think she obviously thought I was never going to get married and change my name. <laughs> I'm just common, I didn't have a middle name. <laughs> I think you should both be Houston Roberts Wynne Jones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but my father's second name was Herbert. Was yes. It? Yeah. yeah. Good. He was. He was David are. Herbert. Yeah. Yeah. Now I said yeah. famous Krug Farm plants. I can't imagine there's anybody watching or listening who doesn't know all about you, really. But um, <laughs> for the one or two people who don't know, just tell us a, a little bit. Kind of summarise exactly who you are, how long you've been going, what you do. Here you go. So here's your opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> who are you? <laughs> well. We started the nursery in 1991, and before that we were bee farmers, and um, we diversified into the nursery business because I think Bethin was never very happy um, farming, even though he'd come from a farming background, and his passion was for the, certainly became for the ornamentals. So BSE was on the horizon, and we needed to invest a lot in the farm, so we thought we'd let the land, take the plunge, and the rest is history. We, we enjoyed travel, that's the bit that uh, she left out. Oh yeah, yeah, and then we, <laughs> we did start traveling too, for, uh, to look for plants in 91, but we'd always been travelers, we, we'd both always loved traveling, so it was lovely to have a reason to travel, so you know, looking for new plants and whatever was very exciting. Traveling the hard way, the backpacking. Was yeah, it? yeah, because in, in the early 90s, things were very, very different. You know, you, we didn't have PolyPro, we didn't have credit cards. We ha you'd travel with traveler's checks when there were no mobile phones, you know, and you'd, you'd travel with a lot of luggage too. Will the audience know what a traveler's check is? <laughs> <laughs> we have to remember how old we are. <laughs> it lasts from the past. But yeah, yeah you, cause you, lots of people say, I like to travel. And yeah. that probably is a slightly more, I mean, sanitised doesn't feel like the right word, but certainly a, a slightly less off the beaten track type of travel than, than you guys do. Yeah, we've ended up with, yeah. you know, tribes in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's, it, it's been very, very basic travel, believe you me. And, you know, camping at 5,000 metres, uh, minus 12, 
you, you know, it, it's it's not it's not for the, the soft-hearted by any means. <laughs> I'm sure, Alan, you'd agree with me that one of the exciting things about a Krug Farm Plants catalogue, uh, whether you're looking at one physically, whether you're looking online, is therefore all of the sort of stories that come with the plants, where they were found, you know, what what metre they were found, what country they were found in. It's so exciting. Absolutely. But I mean, I think the challenge is to get to the end. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's challenging to get it all on a label. <laughs> <laughs> there is such a, a, a remarkable choice. And I think, um, personally, I have to thank you from the garden here, Blethyn and Sue, from the garden here, because there are plants in the garden here that I would never have and never grow had it not been for your endeavours. Um, so a great big thank you for that. But, I mean, I have yet to make it to Wales. I have a, I have a motor car that's being... Um, it's being refurbished at a place, a little town called Riffin. Oh, oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, not too far away. Yeah. Well, I've been promised that I shall have it back this year. So if I have to come to Wales, I'm looking for excuses to go to other places. And you are one of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're, there's always a bed here for you, Alan, if we're out of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> You must sometimes feel like a place of pilgrimage for people. There must be people who turn up, not obviously at the moment because everything is all sort of shut up, but mm. there must be people who turn up and say, you know, we have just dreamed of coming here for years. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're very lucky, actually. I think when we when we first started, um, obviously we didn't do mail orders, so people had to come here. And in the very early days, we'd often get people from the continent come over and you know, Fleddin talked to them. He, he would show them behind the scenes and then they'd be asked in the house for a cup of tea. And then suddenly they'd be staying for dinner. And then, of course, they they were here for the night. So we've made <laughs> lots of wonderful friends uh, over the years um, in this business. Yeah. Tell me, Sue, yeah. when are you opening a hotel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's it's quite interesting because... Um, There's a few we, bedrooms. Yeah, there. we've been in lockdown for 12 months. And this is what's been so odd. Having no one to stay, It's it's been very, very strange. And we had, a, um, we had storm damage in the front last August where we had the downstairs um, little loo um, flooded and everything. And I still haven't had it, it's been repaired, but no, it hasn't been redecorated yet. So I know I'll I'm going to be panicking soon when we start having people to stay. <laughs> oh, well. So oh, Alan, well. Alan suggested there were lots of things that he grows that, you know, uh, he wouldn't have if it wasn't down to, to you guys introducing them. How many plants, I suppose, approximately, would you say <laughs> you have introduced? <laughs> Well, collections. It's... Uh, well, we've actually we've actually made almost twenty thousand collections now. Um, that is amazing. Can you tell we're gobsmacked? I mean, the pause, the pause says it all. What? <laughs> well, it's thirty years. Yeah, it's still a lot. Yeah. <laughs> But, but 30 years, Blethyn, doesn't sound, doesn't feel like 30 years. I know that because oh, I, I know that as well. <laughs> it was over 30 years old and I walked past a Wellingtonia that I planted when it was about 45 centimetres tall and it's yeah. now 70 feet probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I look at it and I think, don't you dare say anything. I don't want you to remind me just how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> 
what, what's fascinating too is when we walk around the garden, you know, we've got mature, mature trees and shrubs now mm. that we've, we brought in as seed, you know, and that yeah. is incredible because people think things are slow, but actually they're not that slow. No, no. We just age faster, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> we often talk about how plants are associated with often memories. I mean, I was taking a photo of my Mount Aso willow that I, I got from Alan. And so I was taking a photo of that thing. Oh, I remember getting this from Alan's snowdrop day. But for you, not only I'm sure are lots of plants associated with people, but they must also transport you to all of these amazing locations around the world. Loads and loads of memories. I've, I've got books and books. These are my collecting mm. notes. Uh, I've got a whole uh, load of them down here. And I've always kept diaries too, because you, you forget the little things, you know, you think you're going to remember everything. And of course you don't. So I've kept diaries of all our trips. But it's amazing. You know, you, you see something in the garden and click something off, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Can I ask um, in your collecting notes, what sorts of things do you jot down? As much as we can. Um, botanical mainly. <laughs> That's a mic for you. Where it was growing, the, the altitude, um, what, the it's, what it's growing with. Uh, try and describe uh, the plant the best I can. So m most of the time we don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> I find that very interesting because um, I'm always I'm a great one for believing that plants will I mean, they are nothing if not adaptable. They're very much like people. They are very, yeah. very adaptable. Yeah. Well, and um, Nathan, you go to the great trouble to um, write down the conditions where it's growing, the aspect, um, kind of, you know, the height, so you know roughly the, the cold tolerance and all that kind of yeah. thing. And then, you you know, I take it from you, I buy it from you and I put it in my garden and I have to follow all the directions and everything else. The next thing you know, the blessed thing is seeded or, or I've split it or something. And it's growing in exactly the opposite conditions and it's doing better than the one I took all the trouble to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say that um, we're lucky in this country. We, we've got one of the most forgiving climates in the world for growing plants. I mean, yes. it's amazing the, the range that you can grow in the UK. Well, I, th I think you've illustrated that very well with your business because, I mean, the range of plants that you offer is quite considerable. Yeah, well, so, well, I'm doing more and more. I get tempted with uh, more and more t uh, tender plants. That's the trouble. Well, I think we all do. And I mean, you know, we've had, we've just this, what, two weeks ago, we had the beast from the east, mm. which when the wind comes down from the Urals and it rushes into the garden like a wind frost. Um, we have very little frost here, but then you get that least blessed thing that hits you. Yeah. And that does more damage than anything. Mm. Uh, but we occasionally, yeah, but we get years when we don't have it. And then we have plants like pelagoniums, for instance. I mean, pelagonium papionaceae. That sits outside like a great big healthy butch shrub. Yeah. <laughs> this year it's a little bit singed. <laughs> well, we, we build up um, shelter belts uh, against the east wind all the time. That's the first thing to do uh, in yeah. the garden. That's what we did here. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we took in open farmland and that is one thing you had to do because mm -hmm. You know, I remember Terence Nellam saying this from the, the Isles of Scilly. He said, if I can see out, the wind can see in. Yeah. And so you got that almost impenetrable barrier that, that softens the wind rather than stops it. Um, so that you're able to have this wonderful climate underneath the shelter belt and inside the shelter belt. It's most important. Mm. Well, our problem is that uh, the, the best view we've got is straight out the front door. Uh, we look straight out onto S Snowden. Oh gosh. And you've got a panoramic view of Snowdonia. 
So <laughs> you can't really cut that off. So that's east facing. <laughs> so we planted as much as we can uh, yeah. along either side to filter yeah. the house. So that, so that's the, the wind from there directly from the east. So the, the um, Slamberry's Pass, as we call it, the big valley alongside Snowden, funnels it all directly at us. That's a wind channel in itself, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Yeah, but we do get a lot of wind here from the but prevailing is the southwesterly. Mm. And we'll often get 100 mile an hour gusts here. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> got plenty to contend with. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Remember putting a, a windbreak up in one of our fields mm. that we're growing crops in? Put huge wooden posts in. They were just snapped like matches. We had to put um, RSJs. RS, yeah, big girders in to hold up the netting. Wow. I mean, you said you're getting more and more tempted by tender plants, but of course, one of the great yeah. things about a lot of your introductions is that they they are hardy, and you work hard to find things that will do well in this country. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, the most fascinating thing is, uh, in recent years for us, it's not that recent. Um, finding out that uh, there's so much hardiness with Vietnamese plants. Yes. It's, oh, there's a huge reservoir of plants there uh, that have always been regarded as being tender. Um, the, the tender grown, I don't know, a thousand miles further north, but you get to the mountains of Vietnam. Uh, they've had glaciation there. I don't know if you've heard of a place called Sapa in the north of um, Vietnam. It's not far from the Chinese it, border. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's where their highest mountain is. And alongside that, you've got a deep valley. And, and you can see there, there's been a glacier there at one time or other. So all those plants have, have gone through the glaciation period, uh, gone back up the mountains and come back down again. What's the most exciting thing you've found from Vietnam? Give me, I'll, I'll tempt us with three, come on. <laughs> <laughs> top, top 100. Uh, <laughs> there's loads of chefras there. Yeah. As you like. Uh, it's identifying them. Um, this, this Joey's been quite dramatic. Um, chef from Macrophylla. Oh, that's only a tiny seedling. What the hell is it going to be like when it's fully grown? Well, <laughs> well the leaves are over a metre across. Uh, you get five leaflets. And then the, the petiole, the leaf stalk, uh, can be two metres long. That's possible. They will grow up to um, 20 metres tall, so that's 60 foot in a forest, um, <laughs> but, uh, but not out in the open. <laughs> no, it needs the shelter, I suppose. It needs to be in woodland. Yeah, we, we haven't got enough um, woodland condition for it. We, we can grow woodland plants, but you need a proper woodland to grow something like, like that mm. in outside. We've got we've got woodland, woodland that we planted when we took over when we took over farmland. Um, I mean, there's, there's trees in there that are now 70 feet tall, eucalyptus that I grew from seed. And so I know what you mean about time passing and everything. But it's interesting that you we are thinning it out quite, an awful, quite a lot. Yeah. And so I'm sort of thinking that Schleffer is a few how, choices. How many acres is that, though? Uh, that's probably eight, eight right. acres. Yeah. Is that enough? Um, it should be. And especially, especially if you've got uh, what you need in the middle of it. <laughs> What you need is a, is a valley in the middle of it. Norfolk's terribly flat, you see. We don't have dells. Yeah. <laughs> you have to excavate one. Yeah. Um, anyone who's watching the video podcast, we always ask for show and tell uh, on this podcast, and you have outdone yourselves because it's like a wall of greenery and foliage behind you. So anyone who's watching the video is probably desperate for you to and tell the them. As well. <laughs> 
Um, so we've had one Scheffler. What else have you got uh, in that fantastic bevy of plants around you? Oh, sudden appearance from yeah, screen left. Nice, uh, this one. Oh. What is one that? Time, one at a time. Don't confuse <laughs> it. <laughs> Put the begonia back Can you make out the flowers on, the, on this? Yes. Yes. It's like a sarcococca. Yes, like a huge, a giant one. Yeah, well, it's close, closely related. It's uh, Pachysandra axialis, found in China. Oh. And it it's, um, puts up with all very severe conditions. We grow under yew trees, so they get really dry over the summer. And then it's followed by wonderful red berries. Is there any scent to it? Yes. Berry, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. like a sarcococca, except you've got more flowers. Mm. And, and look at the texture of the foliage as well. You'll have to excuse me, but I, I can visibly be seen and heard scribbling. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. He's building uh, a wish list. He'll probably make an order. Yeah, yeah it, it's still got a wonderful scent on it now. It's been flowering most of the winter. Fla yeah. yeah. And then the... The season's very similar to sarcococca itself. And the, the berries, they're red. They're much bigger than sarcococca berries. Big plump Do you berries. need more than one to get berries? Yes. It's probably best to have a, uh, more than one clone. Find that with a lot of things. Yeah. I, I know it's come across this. Thank you, dear. Now it's starting to wilt. Look at it. It's got the droops now. <laughs> uh, Hydrangea family. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. But completely herbaceous. Really? Cardiandrus. They start flowering. This is a very late flower because they start in September. The, these are the sterile. <sighs> Florets, you can, just so you get the size. So they yep. should be standing up the same as that. But that this is dried. This started in September. And that, that's just, I, I bought that in just so you could get an idea of the size the, the uh, florets get to. You know, it, and see the size is just like um, a, a hydrangea shrub, the inflorescence there. They, grow, they only grow to about a metre tall. Strictly woodland plants. Yeah. Uh, for, I would say, an, an acid soil. They, they really are stunning. And actually, I'm sure I'm allowed to say this, that um, with Chelsea being moved to September, one of the show gardens is going to have a drift, and I mean a drift, of the coriander's. So they're going to be lovely. Oh, how refreshing to hear that somebody's actually gone to a professional like Craig Farm to actually say, come on, give us some wow factor for yeah. September. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Come on, you. Uh, so it's been no, it's been good actually, but I, it's going to be hard for people in the in the pavilion. But um, no, I think very challenging for the gardens, and it's about time too, really, isn't it, that we see something yes. different? Yeah. It gives everyone a challenge to rise to, and there'll be some that can, and some that can't, and those that will probably surprise everybody. Yeah. Well, it, this um, there is a story behind this one. I mean, it's one of the plants that attracted us to Taiwan. Uh, to go and collect there in the first place. Um, we did uh, some research in Kew, in the library there, and that was one of the plants that we came across there. And it just couldn't understand why it wasn't in cultivation, and, you know, hence motivation to go and uh, find the damn thing. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, it was a second trip by the time yeah, we found it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. We had a hell of a job to find it. But now it's uh, almost extinct in the wild because of the natural disasters they've had in Taiwan caused all sorts with it, earthquakes, and they've had huge mudslides through the area where this was, mm -hmm. and it's de absolutely devastated. It's the, it's the last stronghold uh, of this plant, 
disappeared in all the other areas it was recorded in mm. before. And now there's uh, only about 25% of uh, what was there when we first went there. And that wasn't an awful lot. Yeah, again, we do offer to um, take plants back to these places, by the way. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. We've, we've built up very good relationships with the, with the Taiwanese people over the years. And of course, because we're collecting in the mountains, then they all live you know, at low levels in heat and everything. We've brought stuff back and grown for them. Um, so it's wonderful that we've been able to send stuff back to them. Travelling across such a time period as well, and, and inevitably therefore seeing places change must bring yeah. everything home much more than those of us who just sort of live our lives in Doctor England. Who. Yeah <laughs> well I think you know when we first went to Korea South Korea um, I think there was one highway the roads weren't paved and there was so much poverty there and they they were eating they grew all their own crops didn't they they would eat platycodon codonopsis. Um, I think that was more part of the culture. It, it, yeah Whereas now, I mean, the economy there, it's, it's just booming, but the people haven't changed at all. They're still wonderful people. You feel like a pauper there. Yeah. <laughs> Taiwan has, has, they've always looked after their countryside, haven't they? Yes. Their, their national parks are second to none. But our biggest concern now is Vietnam, how quickly that's changing, and they're bulldozing uh, areas away. So a lot of plants will be lost forever. They're, they're disappearing faster than we can describe them, mm. the science that is. Mm. It must be quite a responsibility knowing that there aren't really that many people like you who are going out there and trying to sort of record them and, and save them. Um, yeah, you feel frustrated, especially at a time like this, so you can't go out and finish what you're in the middle of doing. Yeah. What were you in the middle of? Collecting plants. Well, aspidistras. <laughs> his, his latest thing is aspidistras. Well, I'm following the... That's what I started with, uh, the lily family. Uh, except they're split it up into 11 different families now. Um, Convalariaceae, isn't it? Uh, Solomon Seals we started with, um, which has now gone to Asparagaceae, isn't it? It's the, yeah. it's the family. So, yeah, you've got things like the Aspidistras. We find a load of those in, um, in Taiwan. And then we moved to Vietnam, and that's uh, the epicentre of them. I mean, look at really? This, but if you see the side of the leaf you get on this Taiwanese one. That's over a metre tall. I have something very similar that I grow in my greenhouse that came from Vietnam. And it has, it's almost like, do you know the grass Ceteria palmifolia? Yeah. Curculaga you're talking about. Am I? Maybe. It, it, so, like, it's, like the leaf is pleated. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Curculago. Crassifolia. I was going to put one in the display, actually, and he said, oh, don't bother. <laughs> I can only imagine what your room is looking like, because gradually, as you talk about things, they're sort of moving around the room. <laughs> Plants are just emerging from every side. You're trying to outsize me, are you, dear? <laughs> it's Red Nose Day, so I thought I'd bring this little begonia in. Found it. Um, I found this several times in Vietnam. See the yeah. See yeah. The, this color. That's the color of the new growth. Unfortunately, this is a year old. Most of this growth now, so it's washing out of it. But the whole thing is this color uh, when it comes out. Wonderful, and it's hardy. Wow. I was just going to say, have you tried it for hardiness? Well, it grows around Sapo, uh, this old French hill station. Um, yeah, it, we find it about. Six, 1600, 1800 meters. 
Up, and that's plenty hardy. They get ice and snow up there in the winters. And yet, it's the the name is Barviensis. Barvi is a low a low altitude place. It's very tropical, so it must grow there as well. So it has a huge range. Oh, uh, but it's a forest yeah, plant. They, they are stunning, though, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. I just can't imagine seeing something like that in the wild. It just grows on the side of the road. Well, you know, you'll get you, you'll get a patch of it on the side of the road. Stunning. And then uh, this one, quite opposite conditions. That one's more acidic. Uh, whereas this one grows as a lithophyte uh, on limestone. Lithophyte uh, it grows on rock. An epiphyte will grow on a tree. I see. Yes, I'm whereas, with you. Whereas the, uh, these uh, grow on rock, actually on a cliff. In fact, it's quite hairy in this one. Um, <laughs> well, the limestone... Sorry, I'm not describing the, the stems on it, Harry. Um, limestone is, is, uh, is a bugger to climb. Uh, whole sections of it can be loose. You, you know, you can be, you go onto a section of a cliff or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's rocking like this. And you don't know if it's going to drop back or not. Oh. It, uh, it's one of those situations, that one. Versicolor was the name of it, by the way. I don't know oh, you got another. It. Have we got the name for this one? Yes, um, yeah. I think this was growing on rocks as well. More, this was growing on boulders. Mm, but can you can you see how the leaf is raised? Oh, can we get rid of these? Yeah, so, we... so I think we'll have we'll have a block. We'll have a bloom. Oh, oh no. you can't smell this, unfortunately. This is gorgeous. Oh, knock your head off. This is uh, just starting indoors now. So, so it's a bit later out outside. Do you know Elysiums at all? Oh yes, as in Starnies. I've got a white flowered one like that that I that came from you. Oh, this is no, Macranth. And uh, we've got Simonsii, which is a, a pale yellow one. Oh, that's that flowers nice. earlier. Uh, it's late February. It starts for us outside. Gosh, um, but they're they're late this year. Yeah. They haven't even started yet. Everything's late. And again, these are woodland. Are they? Are, are they? No, no, edge of woodland. Not too hot. Uh, yeah, these two. This one will take it a bit warmer than Simonsii. Right. But Simonsii has got to be grown cool. That was grown at um, uh, 3,000 metres uh, up in the clouds. So it doesn't like it too hot. One at a <laughs> time, one at a time, madam. <laughs> See the coloration and the foliage of this? Oh, wow. That's a rubus, the bramble. <laughs> oh, yeah, we get fruit from them. It'll, you can grow it as a climber or as ground cover in, in shade, preferably dry shade. Then the the, the colour gets uh, accentuated more, and you, you can cut yeah, it back. Yeah, just half the plant world. If you mention yeah. dry shade and it grows in dry shade, half the gardens in England are going to say, "Give me, give me, give me!" I've got to have it. Oh, you should come here with a, a roving camera. Then we, mm. uh, that's what we're doing: planting a lot of dry shade. That a lot of the new plants that I'm collecting take dry shade. Aspidistras love yeah. dry shade. And this one. Give us a break. Give us a break. <laughs> so you get the. Uh... Sue, Sue, can I, can I just say I sympathise? I've got one of those, but he's in the opposite moment. You're going to beat me with oh. this bloody this prickly thing in a minute. I do think it's um it is amazing with um yeah you say preferably dry shade, and everybody's yeah. ears prick up. I mean that is a little stunner to put in some dry shade. Yeah, it is in white flowers and then, and then red fruit, edible, of course. Uh, and, and it roots, it, it, can, it can root at all the nodes. <laughs> it's a, 
roots at every other node as opposed to every node. Um, so you can grow it as a curtain on the wall or something. Lovely What's thing. its name, please? Rubus what? Rubus. Uh, Pectinellus vartrilobus. For sure. Easy, easy for you to say. <laughs> From Taiwan. It's uh, only a little thing, but that might be one of my favourites. No, pretty. No, no, don't encourage you. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll carry on with the dry shade, shall we? Yes. Yeah. Asparagus. Uh, this this is a Vietnamese one, hermaphrodite. I'm sure at some time or other during the year we could show you one with full fruit on it. Lovely. Uh, you the just need the the single plant. Yeah, almost fruit. the colour of my necklace actually. Oh wow! Fruit. Yeah, tangerine, and around Christmas time. So we grow this on a, a shady bank uh, with aspidistras and the Pachysandra. What? Ceruscus, we got it with. Oh yeah, but it's lovely. But we've got it now that it's tumbling down. So it looks like a little river. And this again, somebody's using it in Chelsea. Oh, ah, good. In fact, you might even see this one then. Yeah. But uh, it's got new it's got new growth to come out yet. This is the old growth. Yeah. So I'll have fresh foliage on it by then. Yeah, I bet, because it's so lovely and frothy, like you say, it must look yeah. like kind of just liquid. I carry on? Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Shall we carry on with the aspidistra first? <laughs> It's another Taiwanese one. You, you, you get them with all the spotting on them. We think it's um, it's a defence against uh, scale insect because in the wild the aspidistras are fairly prone to it, uh, scale insect, so we have to be careful if we ever collecting any. Um, and, and this seems to be a defence against them. That they um, they're trying to give the impression that they're already there and they won't wow. get colonised by fresh ones. That's so clever. And there's a little flower in there. At ground level? Yeah. Can you see him? <laughs> yep. It is a fiddly one. <laughs> it's very brine. Well, he, he, he likes to be underground, that one, a, a bit. Yeah, look at him. Yeah. One's planting a bit there. They're normally a bit bigger than that. But there you go. That's um, Diboensis, this one is. And we call this one uh, totally dotty, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it's incredible. Some of them flower quite high up. Protruding. Some they, of the Vietnamese yeah, ones. and they're scented. So you hold that one. Now I'll get the other one. This is a. Oh, this is another Taiwanese one. The flower may be a little bit more visible on this one. Oh yeah. Much lighter. Yeah. Uh, this is a tenuata. Do you identify them by the stigma in the middle? And this one has an umbrella-shaped one, as opposed to that one that has a mushroom-shaped one. <laughs> stigma, that is. And. and <laughs> And it's this species that has a huge uh, foliage meter tall, attenuata. Lethin, this is in danger of diving into the realms of plant pornography. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's all about sex, isn't it, this stuff? <laughs> all right, let's have a little bit of prickly stuff here then. Uh, you can <laughs> this little uh, stick with... Uh, very sharp spines on it. I don't know if, you, if you've ever come across it. It's a very useful plant. Uh, Xanthoxylin's the name. Pickly ash, isn't it? This is the, one of the uh, American ones. This is Xanthoxylin piperitum. Here we go. We have a label. Uh, <laughs> it. it has lovely pinnate leaves, but they're just coming, starting to come out now. Very ar aromatic. Uh, wonderful scent. I'm sure you know that... Um, one of the Xanthoxylins is uh, Szechuan pepper. Ah, Bungianum. Mm. But this is the Japanese pepper. It's far more useful. 
you not only get the peppercorns like you do on Szechuan pepper, but you can also use the foliage on this one. You've got the new shoots coming out where you need them a bit larger than mm. this. You can grind them up into a paste. It's like horseradish <laughs> with a hell of a kick to it. Mind <laughs> you, uh, horseradish has a hell of a kick to it. And then after that, you can also dry the young leaves and then you, you, you crunch them up and sprinkle them on stuff. Uh, smoked eel is the um, traditional dish the Japanese put on. Mm. We had some for breakfast the other day. <laughs> so put it on, um, what did you put on Instagram? Instagram yeah. but the, Very popular. And lovely in your gin and tonic too. You know, the, the, oh. it's so lovely. It's pungent, sort of aromatic. It's citrusy. something you find in every Japanese garden. Mm. No, no respectable house will be without it. You need to come back later in the year when these things are a little bit more, not as dormant. Oh, don't worry, we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the juvenile foliage on that is uh, variegated as well. It's, uh, out. it's got everything going for it, literally everything going for it. It has, yeah. far too yeah. much. It, yeah. it, and I can't understand why more people don't grow it. I am impressed that when I asked for show and tell, this is, this is what you came up with. I mean, this is next level show and tell. It certainly is. <laughs> it's also the biggest, <laughs> the, bi the biggest show and tell ever. Look at this. It's amazing. Well, it's a bit tatty at the moment. Yeah. Uh, it's the end of the flowering. Yeah, these flower through the winter. Polyspora. There, there's ah. the seed capsule. You see, it's more like a Stuartia seed capsule. Yep. And in fact, there's a seed sticking out the side. <laughs> there you go. That's the hey. seed. Just reach into the it. screen and take it. <laughs> so you, you've got a stack of seed in the middle of that. That, that. That's a long seed capsule. So the species name is Longicarpa. But they, they, they start flowering in October and finish March, end of March, April. And wow. that's the leaf, much bigger than camellia leaves. And that, yeah. you've got this um, saw edge, a serration on them. It's a lovely thing. Lovely and glossy. Yeah. Yeah. Very dark. You grow it for the foliage alone. You yeah. don't need the flowers. But then the flowers are there. You need a reasonably mild spell in, in the um, winter to open up fresh flowers. But we get most winters we get uh, flowers right through from October. And it's, they're amazingly hardy to think they're from Vietnam. Uh, we've had no problem whatsoever. It's trying to whack me now. With <laughs> there are worse things to be attacked by. <laughs> this is this is a lovely one. It's the um, this bronziness on the foliage all the time. Uh, it's a Taiwanese species, woodlander. Yep, I lost it. <laughs> it's got a spring. <laughs> Cerulata. They, they keep on playing about with the names of this. They change it. Um, what's the other name for it? Uh, something for Masanas. Oliverianum oh, for yeah. Um But Cerulata, I know it as. They, they, they keep on allowing me and then disallowing me to use the name. So. <laughs> It keeps on changing. And it's, it's got a bit of snake bark on it as well. Oh. Uh, it's, it's a small tree uh, in our climate. I've, I've seen a, a few largest specimens in the wild, but yeah, it's a lovely, it's one of my favorite maples. This is one of the things I've been doing in uh, Vietnam. I'm sure you'll instantly recognize it as I know if you're Pogon, of course. I've been using the name coalescence on it, but I don't think that's correct. Um, but it should have a, a trunk on it if it's coalescent. So well, a lovely sheen to it. Really, yeah. Well, the, the inflorescence on, on this is a metre high. So it, it gives you a good show. And again, uh, like all, all Ophiopogons, they're very tolerant of dry shade. 
So, you know, it gives you a little bit of impact. So uh, quite a few of the uh, garden designers, certainly sort of London ways, have been using these. And the trouble with us is we have, have to produce them by the hundred because uh, they want to make a fair bit of impact. That's more what we call a coalescent ophiopogon. Can you see how it's got a trunk? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. a whole group of these in the wild. There's none of them in cultivation. And then you, you get um, the, the roots are out the ground and help support it. And they're described as uh, being stilt-like roots. They look a bit like guy ropes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a lot of people would think it needed planting sort yeah. of there, wouldn't they? You know. Mm. That's what kills it. Mm. <laughs> Don't do that. I'll, I'll just show you another one while, while we're on the subject. These are the things I'm finding in Vietnam of late. See no Fipoga like that? No. No. That looks almost like an orchid. Yeah. Yeah, it's got too cold for the inflorescence there. It was coming out late last year. It can be uh, seven and a half centimetres wide, these leaves. This was grown as an epiphyte. Lovely thing. Have you heard of a man called Mikonori Ogisu? Oh, no. Great friends with... <laughs> Great friends with Royal Lancaster. This is uh, Ophiopogon Ogus Ogisui. That one was just to get out. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, well, it's the first time that's been found in Vietnam. I've got something on the shelf here. Ah, here we go. You know what that is? It's a pokeweed. Yeah. Yes. Purpurescence. <laughs> we found that in Sumatra. And it, it'll Please. flower all year round. Growing on a rock, I think it was. Wasn't yeah. it? Uh, I, on Ma uh, Mount Pulag. Is it Pulag there? Yeah. But it get it get yeah. oh that, no, that's Thailand. Pulag. Yeah. No, Philippines. Oh, Philippines. <laughs> uh, oh, what a name dropper you are. <laughs> I can't remember. There's something for that. <laughs> Might be on the description. It, this I think goes up to about oh two meters, doesn't it? No. The field. Really? A meter, meter and a half. It's more than a meter. It, it branches out so much. Yeah. It's quite quite bushy. It's mm. a lovely thing. We, we, we've had it survive out a couple of winters here. So, it, you know, you don't make, expect much uh, hardiness in Sumatra, do you? No, <laughs> not at all. Right on the equator. You'll get loads of different uh, inflorescences. It branches really well. That's just uh, an yeah, overwintering yeah. seedling. Ruscus, uh, this is one that gets mixed up in cultivation. <clears throat> it, it, it is around uh, a fair amount. Uh, we've given some in Italy. Um, some people like to call it the Italian ruscus. It's that it's a natural hybrid. They're not they're not hundred percent which species hybridized. I think hyperphyllum, the one you get for cut flowers, is one of the parents. Uh, and it, this is often called well, is nearly always called hyperphyllum in cultivation, but the correct name is microglossus. Alan's writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we, we, there, there wasn't an entry for microglossus in the plant finder, and yet everything under hyperphyllum was microglossus, if that makes sense. It's also known uh, as asparagus ruscus. You see the, the young shoots? It's oh, closest yeah. relation to asparagus, mm. and it, it's eaten uh, in that part of the world yeah. as uh, the young shoots. In fact, oh. our last collecting trip was to was in Russia, um, and that we were doing a lot with um, ruscus there. We, we really love going to Russia. It's, it's great to go collecting with them. I, I, think, I think you'll probably find that the pokeweed too, you can eat the um, yeah. emerging shoots like asparagus as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Because, um, 
quite a bit of the the phytolacus uh, poisonous. Yeah, but if you keep it, if you if you eat them when the shoots when they're about three or four inches long, uh -huh. you should be right. right. To five and you're dead. <laughs> it, where they're native, they boil up the uh, roots. They're yeah. quite tuberous in some of these species. Mm. But you have to you have to cook them for a couple of days um, because there's crystals in the roots, uh, which, well, they say it's poisons, but they, they actually suffocate you. Oh. <laughs> uh, the crystals uh, stop you being able to breathe. Lord. Now, couldn't we write? Couldn't we write a wonderful no, kind of who done it novel around the crystal? And the main use uh, for phytolacca, the berries, is a dye, and it's also used as an ink. Yeah, and I think they also I finished with that yet. They also use uh, make soap with it, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I suspect, the, um, I suspect the story about potentially killing yourself by eating something which has crystals in the roots has put anybody off trying to eat something they don't know is safe. But can we just implore people to not eat things? <laughs> just yeah. in case. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I've done a lawsuit. Talking dirty made me do it. <laughs> you recognise this. It's the Vietnamese solomon seal. They're evergreen. So the, these are last year's stems. And you've still got the fruit on them over the winter. New shoots start to come up now. So you, we'll have a flower and fruit at the same time. Uh, these grow as epiphytes in the wild. Occasionally you see them growing terrestrially, but that's only because the uh, tree's been cut down. <laughs> really? How fascinating. Well, then, um, that's the thing. Um, I mean, we haven't got any gingers around. Uh, you know, herdiciums. I'm sure you grow yeah. plenty of those. Yeah. But what people don't realise is that um, they've evolved from epiphytes. Uh, it's only because the forests have been cut down that you find them growing on the, the ground nowadays. And then um, they wonder why they're so-called tender. It's because people grow them in poor drainage. You know, if it's something yeah. devolved as a, an epiphyte, you've got to remember that uh, they've got to have really good drainage. So London clay doesn't do the trick, I'm afraid. <laughs> I haven't shown you the obvious one. I've been waiting for you to talk about that. Uh, Are we on to that, Chef, uh, Trevisioides uh, is uh, this one. God, that's a uh, it, this is Vietnamese, but um, we find this below Sapa, so it, it's not as hard as the other uh, Sheffers that we have from there. But people lo love this leaf so much that they're willing to have a go. Uh, some people bought it through the winter outside. I haven't tried yet. I should think Alan will be trying. Well, I would certainly have a go. I'll tell you one thing that occurs to me, um, and this is something that I've been trying to do Oh, for several years now, and that is to go around my garden periodically and actually have hardened my heart um, to weed out the ordinary and to grow the extraordinary. And I just think that your stock that you have in your nursery is a plantsman's dream. I mean, I tell you that, you know that. Um, but I have to say that it just gives you the most enormous scope and hope to be able to make your garden more interesting. So I just have to say thank you for that. It's absolutely splendid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I think what's, doing it. what's important here too is that when people come here, that we can show them around the garden and you know that they they how well they do for us. I think that's yeah. important. Yeah, oh, there's another a little bit tender. Oh yeah, we've done a bit in South America as well. Oh, well, Alan's uh, had some of our dahlias. Uh we have, yeah. Got relatives in uh, Colombia, so uh, they've been trying to get us to go there as often as we could, but um, yeah, it's not very safe to go there at the moment, unfortunately. What is, uh, is this? 
This is one of the Oreopanaxes. Oh, Oreopanax. Yeah. I don't think any of them are hard enough to leave outdoors uh, in this country. Mm. Uh, we, we bed them out for the summer in the garden and then tuck, tuck them into a tunnel. There's a huge variety of them. There must be <laughs> over 100 different ones. Thank you for going to great lengths to make sure that we can see that. That was a brilliant shot. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's all sorts. Uh, some of them look uh, a lot like chef uh, liras. Others are uh, palmate, quite solid leaves. Um, and you've got round ones. Oh, and your all little dog has come to say hello. Yeah, it's Ningma. Uh, don't like to be left out. No, I've got one of those. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I really have had the most amazing experience there with your show and tell. What a fabulous, I can only imagine what the room looks like if we were actually there with you, because we can see some of it, but we can't see all of it. And uh, what a fabulous array of plants um, to bring along to the podcast. Uh, it, we have this, this feature called Flomo, where we all share our kind of things we want to grow, the things we've seen. For people like me, it's normally on Instagram or in a magazine, you know, in normal times, maybe in someone's garden. I mean, for you, the, the idea of sort of things you want to grow is, I suppose, a bit different than necessarily for the rest of us. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, he said enthusiastically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, I, I like ordinary things too. You know, I love uh, hardy geraniums. Um, and we've actually collected some very interesting geraniums too, you know, from, well, Clarum. I mean, that's, that's a lovely from Mexico. And that flowers for a very long time. So you know, there's a- Not too dissimilar from uh, geranium sanguine. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a, there's a Bidens that we do as well. Um, that flowers, it, other years it's flowered for 365 days. Beastie got him this year. Yeah. <laughs> But he's all right. He's on a bank. And it's just, I don't know, the Brits don't seem to like yellow, do they? No. <laughs> and this, to me, you know, during lockdown, oh, it brought such cheer. So it, yellow just lifts you, I feel. So, so don't worry. They, these things come and go in fashion. I mean, I'm old enough to have seen yellow <laughs> when everything had to be white, my dear. Even yes, the wall. Yes, I know, I know. Green leaves off that climbing rose so that it fits in better, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it changes. Um, yeah. And I yeah. think yellow is um, yellow should be reintroduced at Chelsea in in September, really, because it is an autumnal colour. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and I think it could work wonders. Yeah. Oh, court layers. I love court layers. Me too. Combination of red and yellow. There. Mm. Yeah. 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 And then um, we did a podcast with Rosie Hardy and uh, she really demonstrated how a yellow changes the plants around it, how it helps to bring out details and other plants and complement them. And I think that's really overlooked the kind of planting combination. Yeah. With yellow. Yeah. Can I just tell you, I know we're getting to the end and we're running out of time, but I had to tell you what I've just heard today. Two visitors, ladies in the garden today, they got to the front door and we were just lumping about a couple of old camellias in the old coppers today. And I don't know the variety. It's a white flower with a slight little, little decolette pink edge to the petal. And one turned to the other and she said, oh, look, they've matched the pink edge of the petal to the colour of the bricks of the house. Isn't that <laughs> clever? <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> oh, I think one of the, the people who inspires me with colour, uh, Helen Dillon. Yeah. I mean, her, her Dublin garden, the way she used colour there was incredible. She's not afraid to use colour, though, I think so. Yeah. Exactly. 
no, no. You know, she's she's quite a an out there lady. She I is. Know, I know her quite well, and I went to I went to do a talk in in, in Dublin actually, mm. and I mentioned um, a form of Melianthus major that she had with purple stems and purple yeah. leaf backs and things, and. As I mentioned it, she turned to her friend in the audience. She said, oh, bugger, he's going to want my last plant. <laughs> well, I have to say, well, um, I was very thing about her is she would give you yeah. her last one as well. It, it. <laughs> don't, don't you find, though, that, you know, true plantsmen are just so generous? And we've, Absolutely. Again, oh, you know, we've been given such treasures by such wonderful people over the years yeah. and made such... You know, wonderful friends all over the world. I, I mean, we've... well, I think partly it's because uh, um, a gar gardeners are generous people to fellow yeah. gardeners, and I think if mm. they know that the plant is going to be cared for, they're mm. willing to give it, and and yeah. that's the best way to keep a plant is to give it away. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, and and you know, this is what I say to people. You know, <laughs> we've never made any money, but we've become rich in so many other ways with all our experiences and people we've met. You know, we've. Yeah. I feel very very privileged. Yeah. And so you should be, young lady. You worked damned hard for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would, I would hope people give you some plants, seeing as you have introduced us to, to so many over the years. So in terms of um, in kind of what your plans are when the world gets back to normal, what will you kind of what will be your first place to visit, your first thing to do? I'm hoping to get back to Vietnam by the end of the year and probably um, Taiwan as well. Yeah, the, the trouble is that um, all the rules and regulations for all this stuff is uh, changing fast. Fingers crossed. Good luck, because we want more of these fabulous, mm. <laughs> fabulous mm. things we find, and they need to be found before they uh, before they disappear. Um, so I've had a little bit of an idea of Sue's FLOMO, a little bit, you know, in that you it's not just necessarily about these fabulous foliage plants behind you. Uh, Blethen, have you got anything that you're desperate to to grow? Um, yeah, it's, um, in fact, I've collected it twice so far. Uh, it's a climbing hydrangea. Oh, there is a story to this. <laughs> it's, it's an evergreen cl climbing hydrangea with bright red flowers. That sounds never, good. I've never heard of such a thing. Why? It sounds fantastic. I've got some lovely photographs of it. Where does it come from, Blethyn? Colombia. Oh. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's just about a high enough altitude. Um, to have a go with in this country. In fact, it's the highest, highest growing uh, species of uh, hydrangea there. I feel like there's more to this story. I feel there like... is. There is. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> oh yeah, she did. And I said, I, I've just found a red climbing hydrangea, and he said, "Don't be so ridiculous, woman." You know, I, he was having a go at me for not getting out of the jeep, and I. I was sitting in the back and trying to get out. You have to move the seats and it was a stop-start trip. Anyway, I found this and he had a look and he just couldn't believe it. Anyway, we, we took some layers, I think, and some seed, sent them back and they didn't, some, well, something went wrong. So we went back a second time and... Um, they were bought back they were by bought, our host. Yeah, they were, yeah. Um, but, Within the first week of us being there. Yeah, cuttings, yeah. And we lost them. And they lost. It's just, you know. <laughs> no time they, lost them in, they lost them in our quarantine unit. Yeah. Oh. Mm. So near and yet so far. I know, I know. Oh. Hey ho. Long story. <laughs> For the moment, yeah. they'll just have to be legendary and sort of mythological. Mm. Afraid so at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you forgot one on the shelf up there. Oh, she wants me to show the last looking pathetic tree. <laughs> Apparently, this uh, this has never been offered in cultivation. It's uh, it's a it's a wingnut from the Himalayas, uh, Engelhartia spicata. I think there's uh, there's one tree in Cornwall somewhere about a meter high after twenty years. <laughs> oh. We'll see if we can do a better job with these. Um, well, yeah, there's a story behind that actually. Uh, we collected the seed with Dan Hinckley and Jamaica Kincaid in Nepal uh, in 2002. We sowed a load of it and about two or three germinated out of a couple of trays. And then we had a new propagator start last year. And she looked in the fridge and there was a whole pack of it there. Oh, why don't you sow it? <laughs> and it came up like mustard and crisp. <laughs> 18, 18 years on. <laughs> so never throw anything away. <laughs> so that, oh, you know, we've we got enough to try them oh. in all sorts of positions now. Mm. Oh, well, that's very exciting. Um, we're running out of time, but Alan, I assume when it comes to Flomo, you've basically now got an entire book just from this podcast. I have. I can't, I can't mention. If I had to pick one thing out that I've seen today, it was probably Pachysandra oxialis, which I thought was rather lovely because it's got scented, um, scented white flowers followed by red berries. I mean, mm. that, that's going to knock my um, sarcococcus. It's going to knock them for six because they're so damned ordinary. This is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we've got some extraordinary sarcococcus as well. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been through that one. <laughs> oh. You know, he, he, ha he has a... He, <laughs> He has um, a hit list of things. We've, we've done Sarkakokos. Well, that's why we were in Sumatra. Yeah. There's two in Indonesia. So we're on Ruskus at the moment. <laughs> and that's Well, he's taking us to Russia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said that you'd have to come back uh, at a different time of year. Just promise to do that because we want another one of these wonderful chats just looking at all these fantastic, inspiring plants. Great. Oh, we'll try the autumn. You have yeah. some uh, hibikims and things. Oh, yes. Oh, fabulous, yes. Yeah. Alan, just get a new notebook because that one's going to be full. <laughs> I've got three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What you need is a smell sensor on your, on your camera. <laughs> yeah, we need some smell vision Thank you so much for getting all of that amazing plant material together and for just being such good fun and such an inspiration. Oh, yeah. Really great. Lovely to see you both. Thank you very Welcome. much. Welcome. Thank you very much. Happy gardening. Bye. <laughs> Hey, Fordice here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening. And we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs> <laughs>